The Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So often we forget that and pamper ourselves. Today, Pastor challenges us to clean and maintain our temple more than our home. Thank you for joining us for the message entitled, Deliberate Actions. While they're heading out, if you found your place in the book of Haggai, now Haggai is only two chapters long. Alright, the first chapter is 15 verses, the second chapter is only 23. I'm going to do a little reading, but this story is continuous throughout the whole chapter. And actually, when they would come together in the, in the first church, what they would do is open the scriptures and they would read. They didn't do a whole lot of preaching, they would just read the scripture. So, you bear with me because I'm going to read this to you this morning. I want you to pay close attention to what the Lord was saying to the children of Israel through the prophet Haggai. Verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but you are not warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And you brought it home and I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on man and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai and the, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day and the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now he's given them instruction. Go up to the mountain, bring the wood, build my temple. They said, we're going to do this. Because they said that, he said, now my spirit is with you. And so they started the work. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, in the twenty-first of the month, on the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? 
in comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, On the twenty-fourth day, in the ninth month, in the second year of Dias, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in a fold in a garment, and with the edge it touches bread, or stew, or wine, or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If any one of you is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, and there were but ten, and when one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths of the press, but there were but twenty, I struck you with blight and with mildew and with hell and all your labor of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now, from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, have not yet yielded fruit? But from this day I will bless you. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow thrones and kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Father, there is an incredible Awesome message in the words of your prophet Haggai. And God, it was not just a word for their day and time, but Lord, it is a timeless word. And God, you've just shown me this week in my studies how this word is for us at this particular time, in this particular place. It's for the body of Christ as a whole. Now, God, I pray that you open the eyes of our understanding this morning, that we can see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. 
May we apply it to our life, God, so that we are pleasing in your sight now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just tell you just a little bit of something about how God speaks to you. It's really not complicated at all. God simply imparts a thought to your mind. It's really just that simple. The Word of the Lord comes to you either while you're reading His Word, the Holy Bible, or while you're hearing it taught, or someone is preaching it, or the Word of the Lord comes to your mind while you're being led by the Holy Spirit or convicted by the Holy Spirit. God just simply places thoughts in your mind. Everything, everything begins with a thought. Right? Everything begins with a thought. Everything that we have, every modern invention, everything that we enjoy, all begins with a thought. Just think about it this way. Just imagine yourself 300 years before today. What would life have been like? You wouldn't be sitting on padded seats, for one thing. You wouldn't look all nice and fresh. Because it only took you 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes to get here. The ladies would be looking a little bit worn, because, and the men too, because they didn't have makeup back then. They rode a carriage to church in the sunshine and the rain, in 100 degree weather. You'd be a little sweaty. We wouldn't have air conditioning. You see, 300 years. The history of man is only about 5,000 years old. But most of the modern conveniences that we enjoy all came to pass in the last several hundred years. I can remember when air conditioning came to pass. It hasn't been that long ago. When I grew up, we didn't have air conditioning. My dad pastored in the church with the windows up and a cow pastor next door on a Sunday night service and the flies were coming in his warms. And you sat there with your little popsicle stick with a cardboard on it. Remember that? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you're sitting there fanning. My dad is swatting flies and preaching. I remember when we got our first air conditioning. I was playing Little League Baseball and we got a window unit. And man, that thing was all right. Because we never had that. I think we were healthier back then. I may be wrong. But you wouldn't have indoor plumbing. You wouldn't have indoor toilets. I can remember when they became popular. Because I was eight years old before we had an indoor toilet. We had a path, not a bath. And you used it summer, winter. We'd come out the back porch, down the steps, across the yard. And it was right next door to the... I never did figure that out. It was right next door to the rabbit pen. And they weren't pets. They were food. Huh? And we weren't the only ones, everybody in the neighborhood. My grandfather had a Johnny house set up. Why do they call that a Johnny house? Johnny, you don't take offense to that dude, brother. <laughs> On a, a John, a toilet. And my uncle put a bathroom in his house, and he thought that was the craziest thing that he'd ever heard of. He said, that's the nastiest thing I've heard of. Any, nobody does their business in the house. You go outside to do that. And he wouldn't use it. He'd still use the toilet up on the hill because that's what you do. You don't do that in the house. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We wouldn't have all those things. All of those things began with a thought. Somebody looked at something and they said, I could do that better. 
I could make something better. And it all began with a thought. There was a guy that wanted to go duck hunting and couldn't find a decent duck call. So he decided, I can make a better duck call. Huh? Some of you know who I'm talking about. Phil Robertson. He's on TV now. The guy is a multi-millionaire because he made a better duck call. His friends wanted one, so he made one for them. Pretty soon everybody wanted one, so he's making them. He said, you know what? I could sell these. And now it's, they sell thousands of them. They're a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> duck Dynasty, bro. That's the rage. And blame Pastor Joel. He's the one that's got us all hooked on it. We got a bunch of Duck Dynasty fans. Any Duck Commander fans in here? All right, you know what I'm talking about. But it, all of those things began with a thought. But let me ask you something. How many thoughts were just that? They were just a thought. They didn't go any further than that. I worked with a guy who was a lead man in the crew. It was before we had children. I just The first time I was in supervision, and the guy worked for me. He was a pipe fitter. His name was Walt Thurman. Walt was a, he was a relative of Strom Thurman. He was a cousin. Walt was a sharp young man. He's smart. And he came up with an idea. He said, I believe I can make a perpetual running engine. And he shared the idea with me and I said, you know what? I think that'll work. And now I'm going to give you a lesson on mechanics. If you don't know anything about mechanics, just bear with me. A four-stroke engine. All right, you've got a cylinder and it's a piston that runs up and down in that cylinder. All right, there's four strokes. The first one, a valve opens up and it pulls down. It's called the intake stroke. It sucks fuel into there. All right, the valve closes. It comes up on the compression stroke. That's the second stroke. It compresses that fuel and then the spark plug fires and it drives it down on the power stroke, the third stroke. Then another valve opens up and it comes up and it blows that gas out on the exhaust stroke. Then another valve opens and it starts all over again. That's the four-stroke engine. He said, I'm going to make a two-stroke engine. It's going to have a power stroke and a return, and that's it. It's not a combustion engine. I'm going to make the piston out of a magnet, a solid magnet, with Teflon rollers around it so that it doesn't get friction. If you know anything about magnets, you can't put two north fields together. They push against each other. Everybody understand that? You ever try to take two little magnets together and one of them will flip around like that? Because there's north and the south will stick together, but not two north. He said, on the top of this, instead of a spark plug, I'm going to put an electric magnet with a north field, and the, and the piston will have a north field. And when it reaches the top of the stroke, and just as it reaches top dead center and starts back down, energize the electric magnet, and the two north fields will drive it apart. And then the, the electric magnet goes off, it'll come back up again, energize it, it'll drive it down again. Just keep doing that. Two strokes. And he said, let the engine turn a generator that will power the magnet. And once you start it in motion, it will sit there and run perpetually. How many mechanically minded people we have in here? Does that sound like that would work to you? That sounds like that would work to me. But to my knowledge, nobody has ever made an electromagnetic perpetual engine. Because Walt never did anything with it. In fact, I didn't do anything with it. Other than just think, that's a good idea. Somebody ought to do that. It was just a thought. Because there was no action taken to make that thought become a reality. I was in a reserve officer training corps in high school as a staff sergeant. 
had a great military officer that taught the class, Sergeant West. I loved him. And I thought, I get out of school, I'm going to go in the military. It's a good thought. I'm walking down the street one day, and there's an Air Force recruiting office. My next door neighbor, my mom and dad had a place on Lake. They never did buy a house, so they bought a little place down on Lake Watery in Camden, South Carolina. Our next door neighbor was Colonel McGee. He flew a jet, and I thought that was so cool. Colonel McGee, and he, I go over and talk to him, and he was just the nicest guy. And so I'm walking down the street, and there's the Air Force recruiting office. I just walked in there, filled out all the paperwork. And I got down to the bottom line to sign it, and I said, you know what, I might all think about this. I hadn't even told my mom and dad I'm doing this or anything. I said, just hold the paperwork. I'll be back tomorrow. I went home. My dad pitched a fit. He said, you will not like He hated the military. I love my dad. I respect him, but he was wrong. I would have fit in the military like hand in glove. It's one of the regrets of my life that I didn't go into the military. I wanted to fly a jet. And I have flown nothing but uh, air of kites. <laughs> it was a great idea. But that's all it was. It was just a thought. Because for a thought to become reality, you have to have deliberate action. You have to have deliberate action. Every thought that you have, and we all have plenty, every single thought that you have have options. A thought produces options. Option produces choices. Do something, don't do something. Do it, don't do it. So we, we, we have thoughts that produces options, and we have to choose between those options whether we're going to do it or whether we're not going to do it. And if we take deliberate action to do what we thought about doing, sometimes it succeeds. Sometimes it doesn't succeed. Sometimes it fails. But one thing is for certain, church, you can be guaranteed of this. If you do nothing, that's exactly what will happen. Nothing. Because when we have a thought and we do nothing about it, failure is a guarantee. We will fail. Now, God spoke to a prophet named Haggai. Haggai had the option. What do I do about this? Do I go to the governor of all the people, to the high priest, and call everybody together and tell them what the Lord has said? Or don't I? Well, we know, because we just read it, that he went to the people. And he told them something that they probably didn't like or didn't want to hear. He said, you're living in all of your big, fine, nice homes. you got carpets, you got air conditioning, you got all those things. But my house is laying in a heap over here. Do you see something wrong with this? Consider your ways, he said. He said that you've gone out and sown your crops, but it comes to nothing. You eat, but you don't have enough to eat. You're still hungry. He said you drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but you are not warm. You work and earn your wages, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's like you're putting it in a hole, a bag with holes in it. He said, you, you look for a whole lot, but it came to little. He said, you, you brought in all the things that, that uh, you've earned. He said, and I blew it away. He said, I have caused a drought on the land. I have caused a drought on the mountain, on the grain, on the new wine, on everything that the ground brings forth. 
Not only that, but I have caused a drought to be on men and on livestock and all the labor of your hands. Why have I done this, he said? Because of my temple that is laying in a heap. This is what you need to do. Repair my temple. Go to the mountains and get wood and repair my temple. And the Bible says that Zerubbabel heard the word of the Lord. A thought. Do I do this or not do this? Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, had a thought. Do I do it or not do it? All the remnant of the people. Now, the word remnant just means everybody that was left in Israel. So all the people all have this thought now because thoughts, God's word is just a thought. Either where you're hearing it, reading it, or the Holy Spirit has imparted it to you. Now they've heard it. It's a thought. And options before them, do I do it or not do it? And the Bible says that they obeyed the voice of the Lord. And when they did, God says, now my spirit is with you. Now my spirit's with you. Do not fear. Go out because I am with you, says the Lord. Now, why am I preaching that this morning? Because I'm trying to get more people out here to work on the new church building. No. I'm not. And by the way, those that came out yesterday, we had about 10 people came out. We put in 2,600 screws yesterday. I thought I had 500 clips to put on, four screws per clip, which would have been about 2,000 screws. We had two buckets with 300 clips in it. We ran out. That's 600 clips. That's 2,400 screws. And they say, we're out of clips. I'm like, hallelujah. Well, we have made some. And kept going, put in about 50 more, I think. And there's still a few more. But thank you for those of you that came out. You see, amen. Give them a hand, yeah. We put in a bunch of screws. No, that's not why I'm preaching, because I don't think we fit in this category. We have taken action. You see, we, we had a thought. The prophets of God came through several years ago. We had several come in and says, Thus saith the Lord, God is saying, Central Virginia Assembly of God, you need to expand the tent. Well, the first one that said that, I put it on the shelf and said, Okay, well, because things need to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Hey, we know the Word. Let's put it in practice, all right? But when somebody else came in and said the same thing, and the third, I'm like, okay, God, heard you. We'll get busy. Because we had a choice. Are we going to do this? We didn't have to. I mean, we had money in the bank. Or we, we could have paid the building off by now and had money left over. We could have been very comfortable just to do what we're doing right here and disobeyed God. But you know what that would have done? I don't either, and I don't want to know. Because we'd probably been at each other's throat, fighting over who knows what. I don't know. I've seen some pretty nasty things go on in church. <laughs> I wonder why the world don't want to go to church. Oh, my goodness gracious. I was talking to somebody just this week about that. The kind of churches that we've seen before where they just go to fight. I never understood that. But we're not doing those things, I believe, because the Spirit of the Lord is with us, because we heard His voice and we're doing what He told us to do. So that's not why I'm preaching that message to you this morning. Because you don't have to obey the voice of the Lord. Zerubbabel didn't have to. When Haggai came and told him, this is what the Lord is saying, he could have said, no, I kind of think we're good. i got a nice house to go home to. The bills are getting paid. The 
temples and ruins, but that's all right. We can work our way in around all the rubble and still have church. But every time you disobey God, you listen to me. Every time. Everybody say every time. Every time time you disobey God, judgment always comes. Always comes. Be sure your sins will find you out, the Bible says. God judges sin every single time. He could have disobeyed God. Hobni and Phinehas did. Eli the priest. I don't know if you know that story. Eli the priest, he would not deal. God told him, deal with your two sons. He wouldn't deal with them. They were taking bribes at the gate. They were seducing women in the church. They were doing all the things they should not do. And Eli the priest was supposed to deal with them, but he wouldn't. They went to battle. Both Hopni, his son, and Phinehas, his son, were killed. And the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. They came back and they told Eli, who was a big, huge man, which is another story, because instead of working, he was just being lazy. He's sitting and they said, your son is dead. Hopni is dead. Phinehas is dead. And they have taken the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says when he heard that they had taken the Ark of the Covenant, he fell over and broke his neck and died. Hopni's wife and Phinehas' wife were both in labor at that time, and they both gave birth. And one of them named their son Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. Folks, when we disobey God, there's always judgment for those actions. But we see in this story that if we obey God, there's reward and there's blessing. Now, the reason that I'm preaching this is because you have to understand, Haggai was sent to Zerubbabel, the civil governor. All right, that's the one who's, he's the one who can call the contractors in to get the thing done. All right, he's the natural governor. Everybody say the natural realm. He's dealing with the natural realm. Also call in Joshua, the son of Josedech, the high priest. That would be the spiritual realm. And call in the remnant of the people. In other words, this applies to everybody. Both the natural and the spiritual. If God tells us to do something in the natural, we should do it. But also, when there's something wrong in the spirit, we should give address to that. The reason the Holy Spirit has put this message on my heart this morning is not because our temple is laying in ruin. Just the opposite. We're building the temple like God instructed us to do. A little bit here, a little bit there. We're going to get it done. Amen? No, the temple that's laying in ruin that I'm talking about is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ. And I believe that God is upset with the body of Christ. Not just CVAG. Individuals here possibly. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. But just, I'm telling you, I'm just giving you what God gave me, all right? I'm not trying to point out anybody or pick on anybody. But some people's temple is laying in ruins. Paul said that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God. You're the temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile that temple, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. When the temple is ruined, and God is showing us in the book of Haggai, when my temple is laying in ruins, your crops will fail. When you have crop failure, it's because of heart failure. He told them, he said, 
Look at chapter 2 of Haggai again, verse 15. He said, consider from this day forward. Now he's talking about before a stone was laid upon the stone in the temple. Verse 16, he said, since those days, before you started doing what I told you to do, this is what your life was like. You would go in those days uh, to harvest and you would expect uh, 20 ephods, but you would only get 10. You would come to the wine vat expecting 50 baths, but you would only get 20. Because I struck you with blight, with mildew, with hail, and all the labors of your hand. Before you started doing what I told you to do, this was what happened to you. Every time we disobey God, there's crop failure in our life. Is everybody getting this? There's crop failure in our life. And, and, and the reason there was crop failure in the life of the children of Israel is because their house was perfect. But the temple was in ruins. And how many of you know that we as people love to build our house? You see, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that this is also our house. It's not just our temple, the temple of God. It's also the house that I dwell in. He said in verse 1, For we know that in this earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's making a comparison because we live in the natural. We also live in the spirit. This is the house that I live in, but it's also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I do like to take care of my house. We pamper it. We give it everything it wants. If it wants to be lazy, we're lazy. If it don't want to read the Word, we don't read the Word. If it wants to lust, we let it lust a lot of times. If it wants to take a second look, if it wants to take a second piece of pie, Whatever, I don't know, whatever the problem is, you know, whatever addictions it may have. We give it what it wants. And what God is saying through the book of Haggai that is a timeless word is you need to repair the temple. And to do that, it takes deliberate action. It takes deliberate action. Because God will take His word and He will impart a thought in our mind. Thoughts produce options. Option produces choice. And choice either produces deliberate action or no action. And so God gives us a thought. Like the one He gave us in John, chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another. As I have loved you. How many times have we heard that? But how many times have we not put it into practice? No, I'll love you if you deserve my love. Because see, a lot of times well, I'm not going to love them. They did this to me or did that to me. Crop failure. They don't deserve my love. Crop failure. Because the action we've chosen to take was no action at all. And if you take no deliberate action... Nothing will happen. But the temple will lay in ruin. But, 
Are you still with me? If we will take deliberate action, and sometimes that means loving somebody that do, does, does not deserve your love. He said to love people as I loved you. Who in this room deserves the love of Christ? Nobody deserves the love of Christ. If we wait for somebody to do something to deserve my love, nobody will ever do that. But we love them anyway because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are to love people the same way. And if you do that, He promised him, He said, Is your seed not yet in the barn? As well as your, your, your vineyards and your olive trees and, and, and the, the crops in the fields, they haven't even been planted yet. But from this day forward, because you chose to lay brick upon brick and build my temple, because you chose to do that, you're taking deliberate action. I'm going to bless your seed even before you put it in the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but that's for me right there. He's blessing my seed while it's still in the barn. I haven't even taken it out to plant it yet. If I'm willing to do what he told me to do and take deliberate action. Here's another one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I've been thinking about that for a few weeks now, praying about that. And I thought I was praying about unforgiveness for other people. And this week God showed me that I'm praying about unforgiveness because of my own heart. Because just recently somebody did me wrong and I tried to hold them accountable and the, the court system held them somewhat accountable, but it made me mad. And they got away with it, and that made me even matter. And even though I was totally justified in my position, they were totally wrong in what they'd done, I was totally wrong to not forgive. And I realized that this week. I'm still carrying that, that offense in my heart. And God says, Bernie, your, your temple is laying in ruins. Crop failure. Nothing you do is going to prosper. Trust me, church. If you're living contrary to this, nothing you do is going to prosper. I will cause a blight to come on it. I will cause hail to come on it. I will cause mildew to come on it. You will bring your offering to me and I will blow it away. Because your temple is laying in ruins. And so I learned a long time ago how forgiveness works. I was going over it this morning. We were talking about divine healing in our class. And actually, there's, there's a guy by the name of Morris Sheets. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Morris Sheets or not. He's a Baptist minister in Texas. And he got filled with the Holy Ghost. And instead of them kicking him out, his whole church got filled with the Holy Ghost. They became a spirit-filled Baptist church. And Morris is one of the most talented. He and Mark Rutland are two, I think, of the most talented speakers I've listened to. And at one of the conventions we went to, Morris's wife came up and gave testimony. And she had just recently been healed of some strange disease. I'm not sure what it was called. It was, she gave it a name. But she had developed a disease that she was super sensitive. She was sensitive to touch. She was sensitive to sound. Sensitive to light. 
She would lay in a room, a dark room. You couldn't turn a light on other than just a real dim light. If you came in, you had to speak in a whisper. You couldn't touch her. And they didn't know what to do. They, were, they couldn't find out what was wrong, what was, how to cure it. It had some name, but it was incurable. And so Morris had an, had an invitation to go overseas to preach, and he was going to counsel. And his wife said, no, I don't want you to do that. You can't just sit around here and watch me in the condition that I'm in. I want you to go and do this. And she kept on and on, and he finally agreed. So he left, went overseas. He's gone for a couple of weeks. And while she's laying in the bed, she said there were two men in their ministry that had deeply, deeply wounded them. And she hated them. She wished bad things would happen to them. and She harbored that unforgiveness and God said, you got to forgive them. And she said, no, Lord. I'm not forgiving them. I hate those men. And she could not get past it. And this is where I learned the lesson of forgiveness, hearing her testimony. She said after a period of several days, just going, God would not let this go. He said, you must forgive, you must forgive, you must forgive. She said, I understood that to forgive them and say that I forgive them would be a lie. So she said, I, this is what I did. She said, God, if I tell you that I have forgiven those men, you, you know that I'm lying. Because in my heart, I don't forgive them. But because you commanded me to, I choose to forgive them. A thought produces option. An option produces choice. Choose to do it. Choose not to do it. It's just that simple. If you don't choose to do it, you automatically choose not to do it. She said, I choose to forgive these men. Because forgiveness had nothing to do with how I feel. It had nothing to do with whether they deserved it or not. I forgive because I choose to forgive. And she said, I begin to pray, God, I choose to forgive these men. I choose to forgive these men. And she said, after several days of praying like that, my heart began to change. Until I actually meant what I said. I did forgive those men. Not only that, but I prayed that God would bless those men. That He would bless their family. That He would bless their ministry. And she said by the end of two weeks, when it was time for Mara Sheets to come on, she was totally and completely healed by the power of God. Mara Sheets says, I landed in Dallas, Texas, and I saw my wife standing there in high heel shoes, he said. <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, there will be crop failure in your life. If you don't choose to do what God commanded you to do. If his temple is laying in ruins. That's why I'm nice to my neighbor. Who threatened to shoot my dog and cussed my son. Does he deserve my kindness? No, he deserves a thumping. <laughs> but instead... Every opportunity I have, I'm kind to him. I'm nice to him. I, I go out of my way to speak to him. I, I do. I, I invited him to come to church friend day, you know. And I wish well for him. I would love to see him in church. I'd love to see his heart transformed by the power of God. Because here's another one for you. Ready? First Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, 
Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. That means insult for insult. But counterwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You want a blessing? You want your crops to be blessed? Then you don't render evil for evil. Well, they did me wrong. I'm going to do them wrong, crop failure. They were rude to me. I'm going to be rude back to them, crop failure. But if you will render good, even though they don't deserve it, God will bless you. He said, do this that you may inherit a blessing. Every one of us have thought. The thoughts that God gives us is right here. Thought produces option. Option produces choices. Choice requires deliberate action. Which one are you going to do? Stand to your feet if you would, please.